the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in over there on the Zoom. That's the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Give him a hand, folks. Uh, they call me Ben. And uh, oh, and who's that clapping? Is that you, Noel? Yeah, it was my patented slow clap for Max. <laughs> um, trademark. Uh, yeah, it's his I, Noel, and uh, today we're we're talking about uh, the, the the underappreciated Angelina Jolie hybrid animation live action film of the early two thousand Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Right, mm. close, 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 ninety percent there. Dang it! <laughs> always, a, always, a, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. What are we talking about today, Ben? Uh, we we are talking about lumberjacks. We're talking about religion in a way we're also well in a very on the nose way we're also talking about something called sky pilots had mm. you ever heard this phrase before no clearly i confused it uh deeply with sky captain i thought it was a good film it was fine yeah it was, it was he was just one he was just the sky captain he was not one of many sky captains that was like his name right he was sky captain you know he certainly wasn't a sky pilot no, he wasn't. Because as it turns out, a sky pilot was a name given by lumberjacks to like traveling clergy who sought to convert them from their burly and intensely manly and potentially sinful ways. 
Yes, yes, it's a true story. So you might be familiar, folks, with the idea of uh, circuit judges or circuit preachers, people Mm -hmm. who traveled routinely throughout a given region or territory uh, for one purpose or another. In those two examples I just named, judges and the clergy, there would be, you know, they'd be traveling for legal purposes or, in this case, for spiritual purposes purposes. These folks, these traveling holy figures, were called sky pilots, and it turns out the original sky pilot, as far as lumberjacks are concerned, is a man named Frank Higgins, who worked across northern Minnesota for decades in the U.S., See, I know I was confused because Jude Law also portrayed him in the slightly less known and even more underappreciated film, Frank Higgins and the Lumberjack Sky Pilots of Minnesota. Yes, and there is a type of uh, very popular pen called a Sky Pilot. I think it's a .07. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Those are my dad's favorite pens. The the black ones like with the nice little pointy jabby tips. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, Jude Law is also set to play the main character in a Pixar film based on those pins. So he is nailing just the sky <laughs> stuff and the pilot stuff in general. We're having a real Judaizance. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Judirection, if you no, cut that part. <laughs> Where are we leaving it in? OK, we're leaving it in. Max. Is, OK, it's in. <laughs> Max it's in. is on the fence. So travel with us, if you would, back to the late 1800s. There are an estimated 500 different lumber camps in the rural woods of northern Minnesota. And this one guy, this Frank Higgins, is their sky pilot. So, like you said, Noel, the life of a lumberjack, Monty Python aside, is a pretty demanding and at times hazardous existence. Sure. How did we how did we get here? What what why did all these guys end up being lumberjacks in northern Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, you know, if anyone's seen the film Fargo, uh, which takes place in North Dakota, and yet everyone sounds like they're from Minnesota, uh, I, I think to me, it's what it's demonstrating is much more of that kind of Minnesota uh, tradition of logging and the fur trade. You got that big Paul Bunyan statue and all of that. Not to say that Fargo doesn't have a place in this story, but it really is uh, centered and began in Minnesota as the fur trade, in fact, was beginning to become less of a viable industry. uh, And this is around the middle of the 19th century. You start to see these commercial sawmills around 1839, and this led to a real booming uh, industry over the next, um, you know, 20 or 30 years. Uh, We started to see big logging operations in places like Stillwater and St. Anthony, by around the very, very late 1800s, it was beginning to move into other parts of the state as well, up north and even out west in Minnesota. And you start to see this lumber industry really start to boom. Yeah, part of it is due to this thing called the Dawes Act and some associated legislation. Here's what these laws did. They allowed lumber companies to buy land that originally belonged to indigenous people. And this Dawes Act divided up Indian reservations in the area. 
giving the families living there individual allotments of land. We're getting a lot of this, by the way, from R.L. Cartwright writing over at MNOpedia, Minnesotaopedia. It's like a encyclopedia, Minnesota. You get it. We yeah. don't need to. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it's great. So this opens up what is euphemistically referred to at the time as, quote unquote, surplus land, largely mm. for white settlers. And in Minnesota, this benefits the lumber industry, particularly near the reservations Red Lake and White Earth. So another big piece of this is that railroads have been built in this area. So if you're a logging company, it's super easy to transport this timber across the continent. And that's what drew people. A lot of loggers at this time, a lot of lumberjacks were just going where the jobs were from one mm-hmm. state to the next. Right, right, yeah. Uh, ben, do you think that the, the term timber come from the, the thing that people yell when the trees fall or is it the other way around? Uh, I think it's I think it's the other way around. I think they were just yelling timber the way that, you know, if they were if they were throwing pianos in the woods, they would have yelled piano. Piano! I guess you're right, Ben. I guess you're right. It's a fun thing to do. That's probably the most fun part of being a, a, a log a logsman, uh, a, a woodsman, a lumberjack, is to yell timber. And you got to hold it out all the way until the thing hits. Uh, and if you're not there, it definitely doesn't make a sound. That's proven. Doesn't Kesha have a song where she yells temper? You know, Ben, it's certainly possible. It sounds like something she might say. You know, Noel, I believe it's actually a Pitbull song featuring Kesha. Ah, uh, yes, back in her dollar sign days, which she has uh, pivoted from. But Kesha and Pitbull aside, there was some problematic treatment of these uh, these First Nations people and this kind of division. And uh, we started to see these logging camps popping up and loggers were essentially, you know, what you would call itinerant uh, workers. Like you said, Ben, they would follow the job, you know, from place to place. Uh, Some came from as far as Maine where there was a logging boom uh, and bust uh, before Minnesota started to see its boom. Um, And then you had folks coming down from Michigan or even Wisconsin. um, And a lot of lumberjacks came from other countries. We started to see people of Norwegian, Irish, French Canadian, English Canadian, Finnish or uh, Swedish descent coming. We also started to see members of the Ojibwe tribe uh, of, of First Nations people. And at this point, it was kind of the peak of logging in Minnesota. Uh, they essentially cut down enough trees to produce more than 2 billion feet of boards. Uh, I guess this would be like two by four type situation or whatever the, the kind of standardized measurement was for uh, the time. Yes. And into this bustling industry come the sky pilots. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a cool term. It describes, as we mentioned earlier, clergymen who would travel through these often isolated timber towns, or really just lumberjack camps. They would also visit miners. They would speak with members of the armed forces, and they would also visit prisoners The thing is that we know the original Sky Pilot is this guy, Frank Higgins, Francis E. Higgins, if he's in trouble. But people still don't agree on the etymology or the origin of the term. For his part, 
Frank Higgins claims that the lumberjacks themselves started calling him the sky pilot because right. they would, yeah, they would be living this brutal existence and he would come through with religious services. And then lumberjacks would say, well, come on, man, life is tough for us. What are you doing here? Why, why are you coming all the way out here? And then Higgins said, I want to pilot your souls to the sky. And so they were like, oh, okay, sky pilot over here, sky mm -hmm. pilot over here. And then somebody yelled, Timber! And everyone like, of course moved they like did. 20 feet to the left. Oh, yeah. Like and you then do. they kept going with the bit. Yeah. Safety first. Yeah. And honestly, you definitely want a saved soul if you're going to get pancaked by a giant pine. You know, oh, just yeah. putting that out there. Oh, yeah. It's a dangerous existence for sure. Super dangerous. And uh, like you said, been super stressful and exhausting, which I guess accounts for a lot of the 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 hard living afterwards, you know, just to kind of like maybe not, not, not to say that lumberjacks were miserable all the time, but I mean, I can imagine the stress and anxiety and uh, just hard work of that day would certainly lead to wanting to unwind in a big way. And these ways were considered kind of counter to the teachings of Jesus. And so Higgins really was there traveling along with these itinerant folks from place to place trying to save their soul. It's a pretty admirable goal, uh, honestly. I mean, I, I got to respect the guy for sticking to it in such harsh conditions. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Cement Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. 
I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos, and the last one, God bless it, I just I I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally, but it, it still was like a a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now. Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So let's let's kind of explore this a little bit. Why do you think that these uh, these preachers felt lumberjacks in particular were in need of soul saving? Aside from the you know constant threat of of being crushed by trees. Uh, in 1893, uh, Frederick Jackson Turner, who's an historian, gave a speech that kind of summed up uh, this notion that the West might become a godless place you know, um, because it was so far removed from the rest of the country. And there was a concern that like the morals and ideals of America would perhaps kind of vanish. So he quoted this 1850 editorial uh, from a home missions periodical. Uh, and would you like to read that, Ben? Oh, yes, of course. So Turner says, we scarcely know whether to rejoice or mourn over this extension of our settlements. While we sympathize in whatever tends to increase the physical resources and prosperity of our country, we cannot forget that with all these dispersions into remote and still remoter corners of the land, the supply of the means of grace, interesting phrase there, is yeah. becoming relatively less and less. Remote and still remoter corners of the land. So while, you know, I mean... Minnesota isn't exactly the West, it's the Midwest, right? Uh, but it's certainly on that path to manifest destiny. Um, it would would have fallen into this category of being remote and wild and the sense of like, you know, being a godless land where men could lose themselves in that frontier life. So in particular, we saw itinerant preachers all over in the, the days of the Old West, of uh, the, the frontier days. In particular, we see followers of Wesleyan Christianity. That was the, I guess, the flavor of Christianity that was founded by John Wesley. We would see them start to pop up around early 19th century in the Midwest. And it's interesting because Midwesterners, it was such a common sight that Midwesterners actually had almost a little saying that on bad wintry weather days, there was nothing to see outside but, quote, crows and Methodist preachers. Yeah. Yeah, the, the British slang for this, by the way, would be a God-botherer, someone who's persistently <laughs> trying to, uh, to, to proselytize, to evangelize, to convert you to their religious beliefs. And this is where Frank Higgins really comes in. This is the context uh, in which he occurs. He's born in Canada, in Toronto in 1865. 
His father passes away when he's quite young. His mother remarries and they move to Ontario. And their their idea, this new family, is to homestead this area. It's remote. It's the middle of nowhere in Dufferin County in the woods. His stepfather is quite religious. And Frank, as a result of this, Pretty early on in childhood, he decides that he feels called to become a preacher. And there's a cute moment here. According to the story, he's walking around as a kid, again, in the woods, middle of nowhere, and he's practicing sermons on trees and tree stumps. He's telling uh, some nearby cattle about the joy everlasting. Doesn't that sound something like a mother would say, that boy's so into Jesus, he'd give a sermon to a tree stump. <laughs> yes, yes. His mom's largely supportive of it. Uh, he, You know, back in this time, rural Canada, uh, there's not a ton of opportunity for formal schooling, right? So he goes to Toronto when he's about 20 years old. And just by the way, folks, so you can get a sense of his physicality, he's not a small dude. He's maybe what you would call burly today. Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't look out of place in a lumberjack camp. Well, that suits him. Fits right in until he gets his hooks in you, his Jesus hooks. But no, you're right. Uh, after around three years in public uh, grade school and then two years in high school, he left Canada and went to Minnesota, uh, and he was uh, 25 at the time. And after a few years walking around as a an un, uh, I guess, anointed minister, a lay preacher, in Annandale, he went to seminary. He went to Hamlin University, and in 1895, officially was ordained and um, started service at the Presbyterian Church in Barnum, Minnesota. And that's where he first. That's where he first kind of ran into this community of loggers. Yeah, because he's he's ministering to this church, and one of the church members says, "Hey, Frank, come visit this logging camp. I operate." a lumberjack concern. And let me tell you, these people need one thing. God, seriously, yes. they're going, they're going wild out there. Uh, Frank, you got to help me out. And so Frank goes with this church member and these loggers on what's called a log drive. That's where they go and find and harvest timber. And they have a day of pretty dangerous work. And, Frank's there the whole time. It's kind of like he's going on a ride along, if you want to think of it that way. And then he gets sort of together. a training day kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, with a little bit less of a sinister crime vibe. Got it. Got it. Nobody <laughs> made him smoke uh, PCP or anything. Right? right, right, right. And he's hanging out with these guys after doing this ride along, and he grabs dinner with them. And he was surprised because while he's eating. One of these lumberjacks says, you know, hey, preach, uh, you know, will you provide us the good word? You know, will you have mm. a service for us? Will you minister to us? And Higgins, you know, in no small part flattered, I'm sure, says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And they hold an impromptu church service. He's leading the group and singing some hymns everybody knows, and he talks with them about faith and about spirituality and Christianity right as the evening is beginning. The afternoon leans lazily into sunset, and it works. These guys are moved. 
You know, maybe it's because it's something that breaks the routine. Maybe it speaks to them on a deeper spiritual level. But the next morning, he spends the night there, by the way. The next morning, several of these lumberjacks who are also, by the way, ridiculous historians, known as river pigs, invite mm -hmm. Frank to return. River pigs. Did that stick out to you, Noel? It definitely did. I just want to point out really quick, too, that I think they were also just kind of floored by how quickly uh, and off the cuff he was able to deliver the sermon. Like it was they were just impressed, you know, like mm -hmm. it was, oh, this guy means business. And he did mean business because he followed them around on many, many more of these logging expeditions and in which, you know, he was putting himself in harm's way alongside the people that he was trying to minister to. So he was certainly putting his money where his mouth of, of God was. That's a thing. Uh, but a river pig. Yeah, it's totally a thing. Um, there's, in fact, a competition, the Lumberjack World Championship, which I believe still goes on today. Um, and, and in that, there is a competition called a boom run. Um, and it is where loggers uh, display stunning feats of speed and endurance and focus and balance, most importantly, when they run across a small lake by bounding from one floating log to another. Um, you, you may have seen this. It's almost like kind of a cliche uh, of like lumberjack life. Well, uh, around 100 years ago, there were these men um, who were known as river pigs that actually did this as a functional part of the logging trip. Yeah. Um, they were also referred to as river rats, river hogs, or caddy men. But they actually drove logs down the river to the sawmill. And sometimes the logs would jam up, and that's when these guys would, would swoop in and save the day, right? Yeah, and, well, they would try to save the mm -hmm. day. This was a super dangerous job. We have some arborists in the audience. Uh, we may have some loggers in the audience as well. And if you, if you have experienced professional logging, timber harvesting, etc., then you know that even with today's technological advancements, it is an incredibly dangerous gig. So much so that back in the 1800s, when this story takes place, everyone was disappointed when they heard a, a river rat or a, a river boy, a river hog passed away, but they weren't really surprised. Right. And they didn't stop the operation because Ugh. one passed away. No, they're basically like uh, cannon fodder in the, mm -hmm. the lumber industry. Uh, and just, just to reiterate, they did do essentially what is done as a fun little competition in the Lumberjack World Championship, but they would do it for real as they were driving these logs down the river. Picture it, like just, you know, back-to-back -back logs rolling down the river downstream towards the sawmill. And occasionally one of the logs would get caught up in a bank or whatever right. and would cause the whole thing to jam. Hence, log jam. There the expression. Or the uh, amazing uh, film within a film, Log Jammin' and the Big Lebowski. But yeah, these river rats or hogs or pigs would literally run across the uh, logs and use this pike or like giant kind of stick to poke them free and you know think about it if that happened too quickly if they became dislodged it would become unstable they'd get thrown off or maybe like crushed between these massive pieces of uh, of timber right yes and unfortunately in some cases their bodies wouldn't turn up for days and days after they disappeared so there's a poetic part 
of a Mental Floss article by Therese O'Neill called Seven Jobs Were Glad or Obsolete. And in this article, O'Neill notes that sometimes the only marker for a river pig's grave would be his boots tossed over a tree limb that was hanging somewhere near the part of the river where they disappeared. So life here was difficult. People needed inspiration. You know, you're, you're, you're literally waking up with a coworker who may not be there at the end of the day. And this means that life on an emotional level, as well as a physical level, is quite difficult. We should also mention that logging operations mainly took place in the winter. So logs could be loaded on frozen rivers, and then they could be sent downstream when the water thawed. These people were miserable. They're huddled together in these like cold bunk rooms. And of course, there's not a, a modern heating system. So it's cold. Let's add in, you know what? No, let's just laundry list all the miserable things. Another thing, people are pretty dirty, right? There's lice everywhere. I don't know, Max Knoll, you guys probably had to get checked for lice, maybe in grade school, something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, as a dad, that's a big thing um, with kids. Like one kid gets it, they hop literally from head to head. And we had a lice scare uh, where we had to, we had to get that special shampoo and get rid of some clothes. It was not fun, but yeah, definitely remember being checked when I was a kid. Don't think I ever got it till I was an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Max, did you, uh, did you have the, the lice experience where they like check every kid's head in your school? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had lice when I was like seven, maybe eight. Alex and I both had lice at like summer camp. It was uh, not the cleanest place that we went to. But yeah, like, you know, I remember like in elementary school, like, oh, a kid had lice. We all have to. And Alex and I generally always rocked our hair really long. So it was not fun just having like our heads completely shaved down. And I was like, uh, pretty tragic for me. That's, that's Alex Williams, by the way. Not uh, fun fact, not only Max's brother, actual facts, biological brother, but also uh, the creator of both this show's soundtrack and the excellent peer podcast of Femoral. In fact, Noel, I think, spoiler alert, uh, if we make it through our own logging camp of podcasts, we might have Alex join us on an upcoming episode. We had discussed it. I think we're getting that locked in. I really look forward to it. That'll be fun. That'll be like a family reunion because you guys haven't seen each other in years, right, Max? <laughs> Yeah, we, we totally don't work on ephemeral together. Or Estranged. Anything. No, just just strange. <laughs> and they definitely, definitely do work on ephemeral. Max is mm -hmm. an integral part of that show. Yes, he is ours. Uh, so it totally is a family affair. And I look forward to that episode. But uh, let's get back to the, the, the Sky Pigs. Right. No, well, no, uh, they're not River Pigs. They're river sky Pigs, pilots. Sky Pilots. It's yes. cold. People are dying left and right. Everybody's got lice. Uh, tons mm -hmm. of people have injuries. They might be missing fingers. This is brutal. Everybody's sick, too, by the way, because, mm -hmm. you know, you're in a cold area, so you have to huddle together, right, for warmth, for shelter, which means an illness like lice gets transmitted more easily from one person to the next due to proximity. And, you know, again, these people are moving around. They're traveling where the work takes them, and they're away from their families. These are men who are trying to provide for their families, so they're 
constantly missing their wives and their kids, who, by the way, most of them were not allowed to bring uh, to the logging camps. I think there was an exception made occasionally for the foreman and mm-hmm. the cook who mm-hmm. were allowed to bring their wives for visits. Like, that's very, very, very specific. Uh, but regular old loggers, including those river pigs who are putting their life in serious risk every single day, were not allowed to have uh, access to their wives or families. And there was even... Uh, concern because of this from the sky pilots that perhaps there would be some unholy uh, sexual relationships forged between these big burly men, which is a very specific type of porn. Oh, heaven forfend. So that's what the, the one thing the sky pilots are worried about, not amputation, not, not crushing mental trauma or the very real danger of death. They're worried. Some people might be sleeping together. Hot, burly, lumberjack sex. Um, it's, a, it's a concern of the church. It's like on their list of top concerns. Yeah. Um, they have a prioritized list, and that is weirdly at the top. And, and, and they're also... Seems well, the very short-sighted. Pi- <laughs> the sky pilots are also keeping their eyes on other forms of sin. So if you are familiar with uh, an industry like working in an oil field, you know that there can be boom towns that pop up around these sorts of activities. And when lumberjacks are done with the logging season, at this time, they often end up in nearby towns or cities, and they're kind of wiling out. They're on leave, you know? They haven't really been spending their money on anything. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They haven't really been talking to anybody except their colleagues who survived that season. So they're off in saloons. They're off rolling hot dice. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. visiting brothels, of course. And according to Higgins, the original Sky Pilot, saloons are the only like social situation around. There's There's not an alternative. You know, there's not really a community center or something like that. There's mm-hmm. not an internet mm-hmm. cafe. So they they naturally wash up at the local bar. That's right. They even get their hair cut there. Oftentimes, you know, if you've seen the show Deadwood, uh, that is also where brothels would would be as well, like in, in some of these saloons. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be lodging um, that often would come with company uh, and, you know, any of the other needs that they had met in terms of washing, uh, getting haircuts, and obviously gambling and drinking. Um, so Higgins tried to address the men in, in, in terms that they could understand <laughs> without talking down to them. Hey, he fellow really, kids. Yeah. Hello, fellow kids. It is I, Frank Higgins. I know your pain. I know the plight of the lumberman. And I know that it seems like an easy fix to turn to the drink and Mm. and, and the gambling and and the loose women of the evening. But it's not so good, fellas. Think of uh, your everlasting souls. Think about the reward that lies for you in the great beyond. Don't get your pleasure now, my friends. Suffer now so you can have your pleasure later. It reminds me a little bit of that song you got trouble you know mm-hmm. right here in river city oh um, yeah where they're like look uh, guys i'm gonna be honest with you it's me your buddy frank now i've been tempted before i've walked by a deck of cards yes i knew what a jack of diamonds is and i know that some of you are maybe making out whether in a brothel 
or in a lonely night at the bunkhouse, and that's a big deal to me. Let me look. Let me tell you, I've been through similar things. My mom watches me leave home to come here and hang out with you in this miserable environment. But her prayers, he says, have followed me throughout my life. And my story is just like yours. It's, it's just a Mad Lib. He didn't say Mad Lib. That wasn't invented yet. But he's like, my story is just like yours. All you have to do is change the names. I know we're in a crazy situation, but I guarantee you that somebody out there away from this camp still wants to know that you're alive. So write him a letter. You know what makes me think of like Tracy uh, Morgan, the comedian and actor from 30 mm. Rock and SNL yeah. and all that. Um, yeah. Love him. You know, he was in a, a very bad Terrible. accident. Yeah. Uh, the, he survived. But I saw him doing a speech or I think he was on a radio show or something like that. But he said something to the effect of true happiness is having something to look forward to. True happiness is knowing that you have someone that cares whether you live or die. And I think he was trying, Higgins was trying to appeal to that sense mm -hmm. where he was saying, somebody out there cares about you. Somebody out there loves you. Go home right now and reconnect with that part of your soul, with that part of why are you living in the first place? Why are you out here, you know, doing this work, putting in all this hard work if you're just going to gamble and drink yourself into an early grave? Uh, and he's referring to, I think, friends and family he says go home write a letter tonight yeah yeah so that's that's what's happening this guy's saying hey don't get don't get lost in the timber game don't feel hopeless people do care about you you know even if you can't talk to them right now you can write a letter you can be connected to the larger world and to the people you care about most because they care about you too Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino, <laughs> and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. That seems like a pretty easy thing to agree to, but it, it might surprise some of us to know that the Sky Pilots didn't always get unanimous acclaim. True, uh, some big lumber interests loved them and supported them. People like Thomas B. Walker thought these ministers were not just good for the camp, but so important to the camp that they should be paid. So in some cases, it was not just a a labor of love or spiritual duty. It was their job. And they thought, you know, if these workers have religion, they'll also conform and they'll they'll work more predictably. They'll be more efficient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Surprisingly, labor unions or labor activists, at least, who wanted to unionize logging camps thought this was a BS diversionary tactic from management. They said, you know what's really going to improve worker morale? If we have better employment conditions, if these people can go out and know that they are not going to die between two logs on a swift moving river, which is a fair point. Right, right. Uh, There was a group called the Industrial Workers of the World, IWW or Wobblies. Uh, They were super against the Sky Pilots for that same exact reason. Um, The Wobblies were one of the only early unions that wanted to organize lumberjacks, and they used um, the term Sky Pilot as kind of a diss, uh, as a ding on these folks. They believed that the working conditions of lumberjack could only be changed by improving conditions, not with this whole, again, suffer now, get your kicks in the afterlife mentality, because it, it's a little counterproductive, not going to lie. Yeah. I see yeah. I see where they're coming from. Right, right, exactly. I think we're all on the same page there. Still, 
some lumberjacks found solace in the sky pilots, and a few even went on to become preachers or sky pilots themselves. Mm -hmm. One of the most famous examples of this is a guy named John Sornberger, who was a murderer. He was, he was a rude dude, a wanted killer who, with the help of Frank Higgins, turned his life around. Uh, there's another guy, Andrew Stenstrom. This is also mentioned in that MNLpedia article. Andrew Stenstrom was a lumberjack who converted to Christianity in 1907. He became super, super devout. He left the logging game entirely, but a number of years later, he came back not as a lumberjack, but as a preacher. Uh, I think if you look into his biography, he's better known nowadays as a painter. But if you met him while he was alive, he was a lumberjack and then a sky pilot. Not just any kind of painter, Ben, a primitive painter, which would have referred to kind of that more rustic approach to um, creating kind of scenes at the lumber camps, which is an important way of documenting that stuff around uh, the Minnesotas uh, and the Pacific Coast, mm -hmm. around, you know, Oregon and all that, and, uh, and the Dakotas, of course. But what's interesting is where we focused a lot on maybe what could have been considered a bit of a cloying aspect of the Sky Pilots, them just kind of saying, hey, you know, uh, cast off your sinful ways uh, so that you can, you know, guard your soul against damnation, uh, but without actually addressing the problem. But they, in fact, did address the problem uh, as well. A lot of these sky pilots provided more than just, um, you know, absolution uh, and, and religion. There certainly were some lumberjacks that did not care for the presence of the sky pilots and that treated them like interlopers, but most of the people that lived in these camps, lived and worked in these camps, uh, appreciated the kind of, I don't know, community building that the, that the ministers did. The sky pilots coming into town certainly broke up the kind of humdrum day-to-day -day of, of the logging camps, and they would often bring, you know, musical instruments, uh, and they would, you know, lead uh, the lumberjacks in sing-alongs, of course, you know, gospel hymns and the like, um, but it definitely was something that felt festive, you know, and the ministers would also bring a lot of books and magazines and things for them to read. I mean, because again, you know, with the conditions and the close quarters, I mean, this is not that far off from a prison-type situation. So, you know, the library is, is a really important part of any prison, if you've seen, like, Oz or any TV show based in prison. But, yeah, so they appreciate they were really appreciated for that, for bringing them stuff to entertain themselves and break up that monotony. Heck, yeah, it's a show. I mean, for, for a terrible comparison, if you've been to grade school, you remember those milestone, exciting days. There was field day. There were field trips, you mm -hmm. know, you might have career day. It Substitute teachers always was a, was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it might be, um, you know, it's a, like you said, it's a relief from monotony. It's a break from routine. And Sky Pilots also provided some social services, the things that logging companies didn't really bother with because of labor laws at the time or lack thereof. So, for instance, let's say a lumberjack is injured, but they're not dying. It would fall on the sky pilot often to take this person to the hospital. And Frank Higgins established this precedent using a dog sled. Uh, the dog sled became a, an ambulance. Functionally, when people were hurt 
or when they were sick, or in the rare case where a woman in the area was pregnant and needed to be rushed to a hospital, it would be yeah. the sky pilot with the dog sled. I didn't mean to make that sound like a turn in the board game clue. It was the sky pilot in northern Minnesota with the dog sled. With the dog sled. You could definitely beat someone to death with one of those. But that's not what they were doing at all, Ben. They were doing the opposite of beating people to death. They were saving their lives. Uh, and it's certainly admirable. And it's something that you see in ministerial outreach, you know, throughout history, oftentimes. You know, a lot of times you could argue that it's, a way of getting people's trust and earning sure. people's trust in the community and saying, you know, getting being more likely to make conversions, which isn't inherently a bad thing, I don't think. Uh, but it's certainly not like all uh, altruistic, right? But it is their job to help people. And I think help people, they absolutely did, uh, both, you know, in this earth and maybe the next, depending on what you believe. Um, so what happened to Frank Higgins and... Why have we never heard the term sky pilots before? Uh, ah. It seems to have faded out of uh, of the, the history books to a large extent. Yeah, yeah. I first heard the term sky pilots in a song by the a group called The Animals, which features Frank uh, Burton, I believe, as the lead <laughs> right. singer. Uh, they're, they're most famous for covers of songs like Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood or House of the Rising Sun. But yes, yeah, Sky Pilot confused me because without knowing this background, it sounds like a very redundant title, does it not? Sky yes, it does. Pilot? Like, what, right. what, what are you, what, what, is there a land pilot? This necessitates the existence of a pilot for every kind of known conceivable thing. What is, is there a plateau pilot? That's 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 a good point, Ben, and it's 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 le it's it's much more irritating than Sky Captain. Again, not to not to harp too much on this, but you know he's the captain of the skies. Mm -hmm. Is this guy the pilot of the skies? He's piloting the entire You're driving skies? the whole thing. Come on, man. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. But although it would be hard to captain an entire, you know, the, yeah. the, where does the sky? Where does his jurisdiction end? Right. At what point is it space? Uh, exactly. What, anyway, and what's the we need more specifics? I think we, we need yes, we need more specifics. We need some more stats on this before we can make a determination. Sky Captain, Cloud Commander. Yeah, love it. No? Okay, mm -hmm. so oh. here's what happens with Frank. Frank is uh, Frank is living his best life in the spring of 1899 when he and his spouse Eva uh, go to work at the Presbyterian Church in a town called Bemidji, which Noel, I believe, fellow Fargo fans will recognize. It's the first specifically pioneer church in the town. And while Frank is getting ready for this, he still makes time to go uh, speak and, as they would say, share the good word with the lumberjacks. Sometimes his wife even comes with him and provides music. Again, this is a show. For a lot of people, you know, whether regardless of their own spiritual beliefs, this is something they enjoy doing on a social level. Yeah, they had a cool little portable organ. That's all we've seen described as. But I got to wonder if that means it's like a harmonium kind of situation where you pump it by hand while you're playing chords with the other hand. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, a, a true organ in these days, there'd be nothing portable about it. So it'd have to be something really clever. Um, I'm interested to, to do a little more digging on that. And, you know, Higgins spent a good bit of time there in Bemidji um, after 
he initially was denied ordination. Uh, he finally got his stripes or his, what do you call it? What's that collar thing? There's a name for it. The collar? I think it's just called the collar. Anyway, uh, that's more for a priest. He was a Presbyterian minister. I don't think they would have worn the collar. But he leads this effort to remodel the First Presbyterian Church building. They want to make it bigger because he's, like, attracting more congregants. And in doing this, he did it not by getting donations, not only, rather, by getting donations for, you know, the stuff that would be required to build it. Um, he actually, once again— put his money where his mouth was and and participated in the work himself. This mm -hmm. guy was uh, was the real deal. And he would travel around all the while. He'd go and visit all these other lumber camps, uh, nine in total. He'd visit three each week and then come back to his home base where he'd continue the work of uh, renovating the church. Yeah, exactly. And this hard work pays off. By the early 20th century, think 1909 or so, Higgins has earned a reputation beyond the borders of Minnesota. Harper's Magazine writes about him. People are seeking him out for speaking engagements. Fortunately, time takes its toll on us all. In 1914, Higgins is diagnosed with cancer, and he dies in January of the next year. And he's only 49 years old at this point, but still he's had a profound influence on thousands and thousands of people. In fact, the New York Times, in their obituary on Frank Higgins, said he had, quote, taken the gospel to more than 30,000 of the roughest men in the world. And with that, the, the legacy ends. So, Noel, we went on a journey to figure out the origin of a term that I think really stuck out to both of us. And we found this amazing story. Within that, uh, it, it is inspiring, I would say, whether regardless of anybody's own particular spiritual beliefs or lack thereof, it's it's a very human story. It is. And I think uh, Higgins comes out looking kind of like an awesome dude <laughs> through all yeah. of this, especially yeah. since he actually, you know, labored physically. He put himself in harm's way constantly uh, for the benefit, uh, at least in his mind, of, of these loggers. And he and the folks that came after him or that he inspired did things to try to help improve conditions in the logging camps, if not conditions in the logging industry. But, I mean, what were they going to do? I mean, that really is kind of best left to unions and, and the government. Uh, there's only so much you can do in the work have to demand that. Um, and eventually uh, they did. Technolo technology kind of caught up and, you know, uh, it's still dangerous work, but I don't think we have nearly as many deaths as we once did. Yeah, agreed. And we wanted to end on some, uh, we wanted to end on a, on, a on a lighter note, right? So we found some lumberjack jokes. I, I think we'll share a few of those. Now, Max, Noel, and I were chatting offline, and there is one lumberjack joke I love, but it is not safe for work. Noel, you and Max asked me to tell the joke, but we it, it would take so much editing and beeping. I'm real. I don't want to hype it up. I just I think because of the premise, it's maybe not the best for this show. So here are some short jokes. We can we can share together. If you wanna if you wanna hear the full dirty lumberjack joke, just write to us on ridiculous historians or at our email. Is it the one about the lemon and the glass in the bar? No, no, okay. that's a good one. That was filthy too. Um, what do we got? Let's see. Uh, oh, 
<laughs> Let's see. Uh, a lumberjack once told me he's cut down twenty-seven thousand five hundred seventy-two trees. Uh, I asked, "How do you keep? How do you know exactly how many?" Uh, and then he says, "Easy. I keep a log." Mm-hmm. Or a lumberjack went into a magic forest in Canada to cut a tree. Upon arrival, he started to swing at the tree, and it shouted, Wait, I'm a talking tree! And the lumberjack said, And you will die a log. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. A lumberjack says, One lumberjack says to another, You know, I can cut a log just by looking at it. The other lumberjack says, That's not possible. The lumberjack then says, It may seem impossible, but I saw it with my own two eyes. (laughs) So we're going to, with much appreciation, call it a day. Uh, We would love to hear your jokes about lumberjacks. We would love to hear your experience if you have worked in a logging camp or if you had someone in your family who worked in the logging industry. Uh, We can't wait to hear from you. Uh, We always like to round out the show by thanking our own logging camp of ridiculous historians, uh, super producer Max Williams, Casey Pegram, Gabe Blusier, our research associate, and uh, let's see, who else do we have on the docket today, Noel? Oh, man, keep it in the family. Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Researcher extraordinaire, Gabe Luzier. I only pronounce it that way because it rhymes with extraordinaire. And of course, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Uh, Noel, what better way to end today's episode than with a hearty yell of timber? I took the first one. You want to take us home? Timber! We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission 
parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.